Well, I have to tell you, I've uh, really enjoyed our, our uh, Matt's teaching on Matthew 5 through 7. Um, I feel like those folks that were on the road to Emmaus, they said, as, uh, didn't our hearts burn within us as he explained to us the scriptures? Because that's what God has been doing in my heart is, uh, once again, making it very clear to me uh, what God is like and what he expects from us in the way we live. So the, um, I guess what I found, I don't know if this is true of, of you, is um, I kind of relaxed some of the standards and made excuses uh, for what Jesus expects because I'm only human. Let's see. I went down a whole list of reasons that I've excused my behavior lately, why I can't, I can't do the Sermon on the Mount because it's impossible, right? It's far beyond what human beings can do. It's, it's, uh, well, Jesus could do it, but not me. Anyway, uh, I decided that's enough of those excuses. <laughs> Let's listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling us and uh, ask God for help in doing it, whether to change our thinking or to correct our tongue or to put in us his spirit that will change our hearts. Those are things that we know God does. And I guess part of it is sometimes I just get discouraged. I fall into a pattern so much that I think, ah, that's just the way I am. You got to take me the way I am or not, right? I mean, doesn't God love me the way I am? I can, I can rationalize with the best of them. So I wanted to start with one particular passage that God um, hammered me on from uh, Matthew 5 through 7, but we're going to move on to, uh, to other passages, of course. And this is the one that uh, Jesus uh, commanded love for enemies in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you, are, and, excuse me. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your, only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this is a passage that uh, particularly came home to me, in part because uh, of just the difficulties of it and how far-ranging it is and how I guess I don't think I have many enemies, but um, I'm looking at a different point this, uh, this morning. Uh, some people like to follow fashion trends, and you have entire shows that are made up of following what the celebrities are wearing or not wearing or how they're making social faux pas. Every once in a while I tune into, what's her name, the fashion police. Uh, but then I think, oh, man, that was mean-spirited. Um, what's her name? Anyway, maybe you guys don't watch stuff like that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, inappropriate, inappropriate. I got it. I got it. Okay. But what I like to follow is not fashion trends. I like to follow intellectual fashion trends to see what are people thinking about? What are they talking about? Uh, what's going to be coming up lately? And so one of the rate, latest trends is uh, the new atheists. Uh, this is a fashion fad, and intellectuals, as everybody else, goes through different fads. And you have a series of books that have been uh, written lately uh, that uh, address the whole idea of belief in God that this is the source of all evil. I've been told that directly to my face, that believing that there's a God is a source of all evil. Um, there's, there's somebody like uh, Daniel Bennett uh, called Breaking the Spell, 
There's biological origins to our belief in God, so that kind of explains everything. Um, of course, couldn't that explain everything that we believe? Um, there's an atheist manifesto by Onfrey's. Um, seems like they go back to all sorts of purpose in life and such like that. And then um, Richard Dawkins is a biologist that has written uh, The God Delusion. And one of his Ten Commandments for Atheists, again, why do atheists have to have Ten Commandments? But anyway, um, is question everything. And so, of course, the smart mouth in me, I almost said something else. The smart mouth in me says, question even that? Do you question your beliefs, just as I question my beliefs? Uh, He says that, um, oh, it was Christopher Hitchens, the one that I was reading lately. Um, He wrote a book... uh, that uh, recently, um, in which he, he talks about um, God is not great. And if your faith's not strong, you shouldn't read that book. But it doesn't seem like there's many new arguments that God does not exist. But he's not saying God does not exist. He calls himself an anti-theist. He's not an atheist. He says, he's, uh, some friends of mine that, res- that uh, admire Christopher Hitchens, I say, are you one of those atheist evangelists like he is? They don't like that term. So how about atheist missionary? What? No, we're not that way at all. Anyway, um, God is not great, and he presents us with the marvelous news. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so- hey, sit down, sit down. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just, I'm just having trouble reading my... Uh, Thank you. <laughs> How to embarrass yourself. I should write a book on that. Ah. Yeah. So I like reading Christopher Hitchens. Uh, he's a British that's uh, be- become an American. He's adopted American citizenship. He's a journalist and a critic. Uh, but I also find his uh, bombastic in his writing and blanket stereotyping of other people and such like that. He presents the amazing news. I don't know if anybody's ever heard it, that sometimes people of faith have committed atrocities. <gasps> Never knew that. Oh, well, let's see. We should apologize for that and not do it again. But what else you got? What else you got? Of all the religions, of all the religious folks, it's just a blanket condemnation. Religion ruins, religion spoils everything, is his phrase over and over again. Um, and he points out people that are religious that have done bad things. And he groups together all sorts of people like, like terrorists. And, and I'm not sure that we would consider ourselves terrorists. But he throws everybody in the group uh, with that. So my opinion is you can um, blanketly condemn anybody if you want to stick to stereotypes and ignore the positive and just focus on the negative. Right? Um, you can take, treat anything that way if you're just historically inaccurate. But uh, in any case... And the one, uh, the one that I'm most scared of is a fellow named Sam Harris, who writes The End of Faith. Um, I'd have to say this is the most mean-spirited, more mean-spirited than uh, Hitchens or Dawkins, even though Dawkins says that uh, teaching kids about God should be considered child abuse. So watch for that in the future. Um, anyway, The End of Faith. Um, he's mean-spirited and intolerant, according to me. He says the link between belief and behavior raises the the stakes considerably. Some propositions are so dangerous that it may be ethical to kill people for believing them. Wow. So I present that to say to you, how do we deal with the new atheists? How would you, do we deal with enemies? 
And I'm not just talking about enemies of us, because some of those I think I brought on myself. I try to live at peace with all, but eventually I run up against somebody that I, I can't seem to get along with. But I'm talking about enemies of God, right? People who thumb their nose at God and say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, whoever you are, I don't believe you exist, I hate you, right? So I wanted to take a look at that. How do we respond to those folks? Um, If we look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he says, love your neighbor. I say to you, love your, it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I couldn't find any place in the Old Testament where it said hate your enemy. Is that there, Matt? I don't think so. People added that. They assumed that if you're not just like us, if you don't believe the same things we do, we're on the ins, we're the in group, you're on the out. So what he meant to say was, God loves us and hates you. And you think, well, you kind of missed it. Sometimes people believe that, that God loves some people and doesn't love others. And that's just too bad because it started off that we hated God anyway. So people can't complain about that. Um, so we look at people outside of us and we despise them. But that's a, that's a misinterpretation of an Old Testament passage about love your neighbor. However, we can look back in the Old Testament and see that people hated the enemies of God and took it out on them. And just to give you an example, there was a, a prophet named Elijah in 2 Kings 1. And uh, there's a king, king of Israel, that uh, his name is Ahazariah. I'm not sure that's how to pronounce it. And he gets sick, he hurts himself, and he goes to uh, one of the local gods and asks, so am I going to get better? And God gives a word to Elijah and says, um, is there no God in Israel that you don't ask him? How come you ask this God of Ekron or whoever it was, this idol? And so um, he says, God says that you're going to die. And the king, the king, he didn't go directly to the king. He just, Elijah just stopped some guys in their own and say, aren't you the messenger of the king? Take, take in this message. So the king says, oh, well, then I'm going to send out my captain and 50 people. And why don't you bring Elijah here and we'll see what he has to say. And they mean to do him harm, right? So these guys come up to Elijah and they say, man of God, why don't you come with us? Talk to the king. And he says, if I am a man of God, then fire will come down from heaven and consume you. (laughs) I like that. There's a part of me that says that's the way it should be, right? Of course, always on my side, not on somebody else's side. <laughs> Got to be careful there. So the king sends out a second group of 50, and if I'm, if I'm the second captain of the second group, I'm thinking, why don't you go? <laughs> why don't you? So they do the same thing. It's one of those beautiful stories in the Old Testament where, uh, man of God, come see the king. If I am the man of God, <laughs> so, so the king sends out a third group. <laughs> And the third group, the captain says, please, please, okay, I respect you, I believe in God, don't kill me, don't wipe me out. Oh, okay, I'll go with you guys. (laughs) So so then he goes and tells the kings he's going to die, and he dies. And you think, that's, that's, yeah, that's the way it should be. That's, yeah, that's how it should be. Um, So there's a passage in the New Testament in Luke chapter 9, and I wanted to turn there, in which uh, two of the disciples... Look to Elijah as an example. You know, if you look to the Bible, you can, you can kind of go to passages you want to behave like and kind of justify behavior that way. You ever done that? Yeah, I'm looking for something that will j- rationalize my behavior. Aha! I got it! I can do whatever I want and say it's scriptural. You guys haven't done that, have you? Okay, anyway, I have it. Um, so, we're in Luke chapter 9, 
in uh, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Now, there's a verse that uh, some of the oldest manuscripts don't have in which Jesus said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. I'll catch that up later. So they're really thinking, to me, this is faith, right? This is, Jesus, if you're genuine, zap the Samaritans. They rejected you, so it's time to zap. Just like Elijah. I can go back to the precedent of Elijah and say, yeah, yeah, get them, Lord, go zap them. So, but Jesus is like, you guys, are you clueless? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Have you prayed for these Samaritans? Do you love these Samaritans? It's almost like Elijah was pre-Jesus to me. Again, Jesus said, it's been said before, but I'm saying to you, I'm raising the standard. This was permitted a long time before this, but now I expect you guys to pick up the pace here. So, They were clueless, and I really appreciate that uh, they're given as an example uh, for us, not to copy, but to to, um, learn from. I guess I'm I'm looking at, every time I read a scripture passage now, I'm looking at putting on, you know how when you put on 3D glasses, you see things differently than those who don't have it on? You, You can see stuff that others can't. I'm looking at putting on 3D Jesus glasses. Whenever I read the scriptures and thinking, okay, uh, is, this, uh, is this for us? Is this something we should put into practice? Uh, maybe, yeah, okay, we got it, we got it. So the standard has changed. Jesus says, don't look for your own vengeance. Don't take personal vengeance. Um, commit that to God and suffer is the other part of it. So um, I find it's difficult, if not impossible, to love people are in, that are evil. Now, um, there is such a thing as evil, and Jesus doesn't deny that. And if you just look out in the world, I deal with kids that a lot of times, the kids that come to our program, anybody out here in the program? Okay. Um, They've had a pretty rough childhood. And sometimes they've just uh, been abused, and sometimes they've just been neglected. And talking to one kid that had a rough week, um, his dad is an alcoholic and a druggie, and and he promised to get together with the son, and the son was so excited, and then he didn't show again for like the 100th time. And you think, that's evil. That would be a good definition of evil. And so I'm not saying that there's no such thing as evil. There is. There's people that are just outright to do harm to others, and we can't deny that. Um, but how do you love people like that? That's the thing. That's the thing for me that is so difficult. Well, what Jesus says in that passage back in Matthew 5, first step, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's, there's like a miracle that occurs in my heart when I start praying for someone. I might go back to the imprecatory Psalms. If you want to look one up, it's 109. And they pray for the death of God's enemies and zap them and zap their kids and zap their grandkids and everybody else that has anything to do with them, zap them all. And I may start off 
by saying, zap them, Lord. But uh, no, that's not where we're going. And I get reminded, uh, do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Mm, okay. No, no, I got it. I got it. Um, so the first thing I do is start praying for them. And it's amazing, as I pray for them, getting away from Lord, zap them, to Lord, help me to see things as they see them. Lord, I pray that you'd turn their hearts around. Lord, I pray that I might understand them better. Lord, help me to love them. It's almost like a miracle occurs in my heart. I start to have little drips of love coming out. It's not a flow. It's not a river. But little drops of love start coming out. And I think, okay, um, maybe, I should, maybe I should think of a way that I can love them. One of the things that Jesus says in Matthew 5 is that God loves the unrighteous. God loves the evil. It's almost like, I don't want to put it this way because that might be, it's almost like there's no difference. God is impartial. God sends the rain and the sun on both good and evil. So if God treats people that way, he says, shouldn't we? Huh. Well, I want something for being on the in crowd, right? I want God to treat me better than others, but it, it doesn't seem like that's, uh, that's the case. So I... Um, I guess what I'm saying is we need to treat people in grace because God treats people in grace. There's a certain type of mean-spirited nastiness that some Christians are spewing out. I don't think that Jesus would do that, although I still haven't reconciled that with Matthew 23 where he blasts the Pharisees. And I don't know if there's an easy way to reconcile that. But um, obedience, because this is what God is like, uh, this is, and we are to be sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. So, I guess I might throw this out there. Is we see the wisdom in treating people with grace and compassion and love because that's how God treated us, right? Were we ever enemies of God? Yes. Was I, an, I was an enemy of God at one point. And how did he treat me? Did he zap me? Because I spewed in his face because I said all sorts of horrible things about God? Did he? No, he didn't. No, his long-suffering, his kindness, his grace all drew me to him. So why do we think that we should zap others? Don't zap unless you... No, what's it? Don't zap unless you've been zapped? No, that's, that's the opposite of what I want to say. <laughs> what's the phrase that Jesus said in his prayer that uh, forgive us our debts as... We forgive our debtors. Okay, does that apply? Yes, yes. We, again, we forget other people. Matt uh, brought up that whole story of the, um, the parable of the uh, unmerciful servant. What a powerful thing. Is it Matthew 18, I think it is, Matt? Um, any case, we're to forgive others because this is what God has done for us. This is how he has treated us. I think that's a great way to, to start. But I need an example. I need somebody to show me exactly how to do it. I can't seem to do it if I just think about it or read about it. I've got to see somebody in action. And fortunately, we have someone in action. You might think um, everything is, is uh, this example in Luke chapter 23. Jesus is our example here. In Luke chapter 23, I want to read verse uh, 34, but uh, this is the cross. Verse 32 says, 
Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Ask Byron about the three crosses. Um, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Before we get into what Jesus said, do any of you have an asterisk or a letter by verse uh, 34 in your translation? Uh, my translation down at the bottom says, some early manuscripts do not have this sentence. So I thought I'd better talk about that, because you can't base a scripture on something, you can't base a principle on something that may not be there. I was surprised when I saw this, but um, if... Um, you understand that we do not have the Bible in the original languages. We have a few thousand manuscripts, some of them Greek papyri, some capital unsealed, some minuscule, some in translation, and uh, some in uh, the church uh, fathers who wrote early on. And the manuscripts we do have differ with each other. So that begs the question, so how do you know what's the original? And some Christians just close your mind and say, well, I'm going to take this translation. Well, it takes, takes more than that. It takes looking at all these different uh, texts of these uh, scriptures. And so what you end up with is when you look at this, there's a, a papyrus, which is um, reed paper, 200s, that doesn't have this uh, passage in it, doesn't have verse 34 in it. There's others that are like 300s that don't have it in it. And you think, what? Why would it be missing if, if it was there originally? And then there's others that are a little bit later that do have it in it. And then the, the clincher for me is like there's a bunch of church fathers that wrote between those periods and they've got it in there. And they said Jesus said it. Do you remember in uh, the book of John where it says that many other things Jesus did? Well, I think this is actually one of those things that oh, was a true saying of the Lord that's outside the gospel accounts. Okay, so don't nail me for that. <laughs> and uh, just think about that. A true saying that has passed down through us through, uh, through the early Christians. But what, what troubles me is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. When I first read this, I objected to Jesus saying it that way. And you think, who are you? Well, I'm nobody. But besides that, they did know what they were doing. They meant to torture and kill him. That was the whole point. And so... I asked and prayed, so in what sense do they not know what they're doing? And then I saw a series of scriptures going into the book of Acts and into Paul and into Peter that kind of excuses people for ignorance. And that's, that's a justification I've used for a lot of behavior. I didn't know. <laughs> um, I'm off the hook. No, that's not the way that it's being used. It's um, uh, Peter says to the, you crucified him, but you did it in ignorance. Uh, Paul says, you didn't realize, you didn't realize what you're doing. So it's almost like it's a different kind of not knowing. It's not a sense of, you're not like you're completely excusing you from any uh, blame. It's like you had no idea. If you would have known, Paul says in Corinthians, that if the rulers would have known, they would not have crucified Jesus. So in looking at what that means, I think it is one of those situations where the... Um, where the God of this world has blinded their minds, where people are deluded, and they don't realize they're deluded. They don't have the 3D glasses, the Jesus glasses, and they don't know where to get them. 
Um, they've turned down 3D, 3D glasses in the past. But uh, for me, it's, um, it's, a, it's an, a way of thinking about people that reject Christ that I, have, I was not thinking about. It was, let's think about how deluded people are, how they're fooled. And they are victims in this case. So I want to go back and close the loop to where I started So how do, we, how do we respond to those who reject God? How do, those, how do we respond to those that blame God for all sorts of evils? Um, Christopher Hitchens has been diagnosed with throat cancer. And some Christians have been responded to that by saying, Aha! I prayed that God would zap you and this is an answered prayer. I don't think so. I mean, by his own admission, until the last couple of years, he smoked for years, so I'm thinking this is a natural consequence of certain behavior, but I don't know if God specially zapped him. Is that a good response? I don't think so. I prayed that God would zap you, and he finally did. No, no. Others have tried to give him the gospel, and he's heard it a few times, and uh, he says, thank you very much, but I'm not interested. He knows what the gospel is. Still others pray for him, pray for his health, pray for his recovery, pray for that he'll come to the Lord, even though he said an awful lot of things against God. I don't think God has called us to be mean-spirited and nasty in the way that we relate to non-Christians. I think we need to grow up, and we need to put on our Jesus 3D glasses, and we need to pray for our enemies. Let's pray now. Dear God, we thank you that you've preserved these words of Jesus down through these years to show us what you're like and what you expect of us in the way that we live. And we know that we cannot do this without your spirit. We cannot do it without your power. We're challenged. We're inspired by the deeds of your son. We would like to follow in those, but we're weak. God, show us how to do this. Encourage us. Give us the ability to obey when the crucial time comes, to respond the way that you respond to others and not to just uh, dump on people. In Jesus' name, amen.